The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. Welcome to Three Yards for Carry. I'm Simon Clancy. I'm currently on a train my way from London to Manchester, which means nothing to 99.927% of you. But imagine being on a train from Miami to Jacksonville. That's kind of where I am. Anyway, we will get to the football in a minute, but, you know, last week, last week, Last weekend, two days ago, the Game of Thrones finale was watched by 17 million people in the US, countless millions around the world. Three of us here, myself, Alfredo Arteaga, of course, Chris Kaufman, of course, my good friends. Boys, how did we find it? What did we think? Happy, unhappy, disappointed? Aaron Rodgers has been talking tonight about how disappointed he was about the ending. Where, where do you guys stand on it? First off, are we sure about that number? Like, are they? Are we counting like everybody on HBO now and ever and stuff like that? Because I saw that thing people are coming out with today, where it stacks up relative to NFL games, and it was like this. It would rank like yeah, the seventy third among most watched NFL games. Which, Last season alone. <laughs> I mean, it's just really, uh, really incredible to think about uh, the NFL's popularity, if that's true. But also, yeah, if you ever, uh, if you want to talk about popular, have you ever seen the local numbers for a New England Patriots game in Boston? Oh God, no! Forty-five and fifty. Not sure, I want which to. Means that six, six into my mouth a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Forty-five and fifty shares, which means, which means every two TV sets, one of them is on their game. But have you ever been to that dump of a stadium, though? No wonder. I mean, it's miles from anywhere. It's about, <laughs> yes. it's about 50 miles out of Boston. And then try, I mean, and try to get home from, from Foxborough. It's, it's easier to get from beyond the wall down to King's Landing in 20 minutes. It is ridiculous. You, can't, you literally cannot get out of that. There's one train in, one train out, and you have to wait about three hours for a cab, and it's about $280. If you wait like two hours in the hotel, or outside the hotel because they don't actually let you loiter inside. If you wait outside the hotel, after a couple of hours, the, the, the Ubers back to Boston are about $50. $50. 
they go for about $300 after at the end of the game. It's the most ridiculous place ever. I, I, you wonder if people in Boston line up like the folks in Winterfell did when, uh, when the Dothraki were, were kind of were marching their way in, like when folks from Miami come up to watch a game. Like, uh, if, you, if you catch what I mean here. Um, yeah, I do. There's a little shopping center just literally by the stadium, and it's got it's where Brady does his – so the TB12 office and workout center is right next to the stadium, so it's where Brady kind of goes. With and like pharmacy? Probably next door, allegedly. For some reason, I thought you were going to say that that's where he does his wood carving. Like, that's the, what the words sounded like, and I just thought that would be a really interesting story. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that, uh, that finale – uh, it was kind of non-eventful, right? Everybody got to do what they wanted to do in the first place. That's oh, like, it was, the entire ending. It was so boring and just like, you know, ah, man, it was it was really like just, I don't even know the word for it, but it wasn't, I mean, so barely eventful. I mean, yeah, there were some big things that were happening, but they, they were kind of understated things even as they were happening. And, um, and the ending, like nobody... I mean, that's, I saw Aaron Rodgers' rant on this, and he's dead on. Like, what, Bran has the best story? I mean, Arya turned into a shape-shifting murderess with, you know, that that killed the literal king of the undead. And, yeah, but Bran's, you know, Bran's got the best story. Yeah, I never under, I, I didn't understand that part. And by the way, it, it's, it's, it's pretty much a given that Bran is going to be a terrible king. His oh, first order of business was to appoint Tyrion the Hand again. The worst hand ever. And Bronn as Master of Coin. Jesus Christ. <laughs> They're going to file for Chapter 7 like like that. <laughs> and Bronn's first, first it, order of business was to rebuild all the brothels. Not the sewer system, mind you. All the brothels. So, so there were 73 episodes, and the best thing to happen to Bran happened in the first episode. <laughs> it's true i saw literally i saw the greatest i saw the greatest uh twitter uh comment though about it was that uh the, that jamie lannister's kingslayer level was so was so high that he tried to kill the king eight seasons in advance <laughs> yes. I, I i saw somebody call him wheelie wheelie no legs feely <laughs> Which I is cruel, but it did make me laugh. And I apologize to uh, everybody who is disabled because it's not funny, but it did make me laugh. Uh, notably Steve. Doc, if you're no, notably Steve. Notably Dr. Z. Did either of you find it a bit crude that Sansa, in front of what was essentially an electoral college, had to blurt out that Brand's uh, no didn't work? Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> I, I, funny I, or I mean, tragic, depending on, you know, your both. But the fact that they all sat around, all of a sudden they all just managed to like Yara, who like disappeared for like months. Then the the the, the boy who tried to who who was um, Mrs. Stark's sister who tried to throw Tyrion oh. out of the out of the moon window. Robin. Yeah, all of a sudden he was there and grown Sweet up. And like, where's where's he been for five series? And, <laughs> and then the all of a sudden shows back up. <laughs> also, how did Grey Worm become as important as like Floyd Mayweather? I mean. <laughs> I mean, what? Some, somebody else with no dick just takes over and is like the most important person. And what about the part where like Grey Worm is like, I don't like this, I don't like this, and then they're like, oh, we need to choose a king, and he's like, okay, choose. Well, why would yeah, he, and the, why would he care? 
and they let the they let the bloke who they were about to assassinate, who's in chains, do all the do all the choosing. It was, I mean, what? It was it was pointless. If I, I mean, it it was, yeah. I mean, it was six brilliant series. Did you find it interesting that uh, I forget the Lord's name, but he tells Grey Worm, uh, you know, just take your whole army and go start your house somewhere. Mm. Uh, yeah. Does he understand that Grey Worm can't start a house? That like the whole generation will be gone like in about thirty years. Exactly. And who's stopping John coming back from the north? Like when they all said, "Oh, mate, see you later," and he said goodbye to everybody. He's like, "I'll never see you again." It's like yeah. and the Dothraki, then the Dothraki fucked off, and and the Unsullied got on a boat. They'd they're be not the house back, John. Desiring. Exactly. And in thirty years, mate, they'll all be dead anyway. So you can just hot foot it back. Nobody's going to care. <laughs> like the guy in the wheelchair is not here. He's not going to catch you. Sansa is your sister, so it's. You know. Well, I think I think Grey Worm should have been the king. I mean, because he can't sire either. Yeah. I, I, the I, most I, interesting I, thing about I Grey Worm was the Sunday. That first meeting, that, I thought that was actually a really good scene when, when Tyrion is walking around the table and he's arranging all the chairs. Mm-hmm. And he wants to get down to business. And obviously he wants to get down to the business of rebuilding King's Landing because it's a rubble. It's, you know, it's a mess right now. And here comes Bran. And his two cents are, I'm going to go chase this dragon around the world. Literally chasing crow. dragons. But also, why could, he knows where it's maybe that maybe he's just gonna do some heroin. He's chasing the dragon. <laughs> maybe, he, but he knows where it's gone. So why doesn't he just go? And, I mean, oh, wait, that, is that how I, Yes, <laughs> <laughs> may as well be. I mean, I think Benny and Wise were definitely on heroin. <laughs> I mean, it, it does make you laugh. They just didn't wait for the source material. That was a burn, though, by the way. Uh, Wasn't it? Rogers at the very end. You see what he said? The Star Wars thing, yeah. Yeah, he was like, like, well, I think they're probably writing uh, writing their Star Wars stuff and probably not Mm -hmm. having as much focus on Game of Thrones at that point. There was an interesting interview with Amelia Clark in The New Yorker that was released yesterday. And she was talking about, well, first of all, she was talking about the the rogue Starbucks coffee cup, which wasn't a Starbucks coffee cup, apparently, and was almost certainly left by Benioff and Wise, uh, by the way, as she says. (laughs) Um, but also she talked about the fact that, you know, she was kind of subtle in, in what she said, but it was, you know, it was clear that she wasn't particularly happy with the way it panned out. The end. It, it, it's a shame. They left they a water bottle pack. by Sam's foot. Yeah, yes. Two of them, yeah, actually. They, there was two of them. They, they just seem to pack so much into the final two series, final two episodes, final two series, that it just felt like so hurried to get to the end. So many things that were left. You know, all that stuff about the fake when when Arya became a faceless man, I mean, what ultimately what was that for other than to kill um other than to kill uh, what's his name? Um you know who I mean. Um it just seemed a little bit you know and the, the, I mean even last week when she was riding off on the white horse at the end, there was always symbolism that it wasn't. There was nothing to that. She just literally They got did nothing with it. Well, the only so thing to that was that it was a callback to an earlier scene. Remember when he saved the little, when she saved the little girl, and the little girl was playing with a little white horse toy. But, who, was, but what was saved? What? She wasn't being saved though. There was nothing else happening. Who the hell she remembers she, that? Exactly. But you really had to really dig to remember that. But what about all the stuff about Azor's eye and you know all those kind yeah. of you know Melisandre's premonitions and none of that ever. That would have been so much more interesting. Yeah, the fact that Cersei and yeah, because I was thinking when when Tyrion was pulling back the stones, 
to find Jamie and his sister and I was half thinking wouldn't it be, it'd be quite funny if it was just Jamie's metal hand <laughs> the, but that would have at least added a little bit of intrigue no that would have been too much. yeah of course but, yeah I mean four out of ten overall I think for a nine out of ten series first yeah. six seasons it was I shit thought, I thought that what we shit. learned what we learned is that the New York uh, not the New York the HBO producers the ones that that the executives that wanted to have a ten episode season were right. Yeah, they were definitely right. And these guys yeah, that wanted to do a six episode season were absolutely wrong because what do you, do, it seems do you like think we're it left episodes? Do you think it left open though a couple of spin off series? Well Aria is gonna be uh, evidently yeah. Christopher Columbus, so yeah absolutely. <laughs> what about what about Aria it wouldn't surprise me it wouldn't surprise me in ten years time if they came back and did a series nine. Makes sense. Yeah. Like there's plenty just too much you mean yeah. after their Star Wars hiatus? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. You, you wonder if they could just do some spinoffs that are like prequel Because they've done a lot of... George R. R. Martin's done quite a bit of work on, on some prequel-type stories. And, um, yeah. you know, stuff that happened way before these events. And uh, Dunkin' Egg, isn't it? You Dunkin' Egg and the Dance of Dragons and stuff it's like that. It's interesting. I was reading yesterday the Dunkin' Egg series, of which he's made three. He's been, mm-hmm. uh, he's been in conversations with a number of people to either turn them into films or to television series. And he said, whilst he hasn't done that, HBO actually owned the rights to Westeros. So anything mentioning the Iron Throne, anything related to Westeros cannot be used on anything else unless it's an HBO series, which I thought was quite interesting. Well, that makes sense. I mean, they're going to lock that shit up. (laughs) 100%. 100%. Maybe a movie. Anyway. Maybe a movie. I mean, how could you fit all that in a movie, though? Each one of those episodes was basically a movie. I mean, it was yeah, over exactly. an hour. Exactly. Anyway, let's move on from Game of Thrones because we're all, you know, it was a three and thirteen season, frankly, <laughs> which we're used, which we're used to. We should have expected it, frankly. And you don't even get the number one pick at the end of it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Unlike this year. Next year. <laughs> well that brings us into our next topic very nicely <laughs> uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about how bad the dolphins are going to be because mike clay of espn i believe he's with espn he came up yes. with a uh, a series of tweets where he talked about um and he put out like his models his models on uh, on what each teams are going to be uh favored by in each game he had all 17 weeks of the season out there and he had the Miami Dolphins not going to be favored in any single game, 0-16. No other team in the league was in that boat with Miami. Uh, some of them were either fa- either favored or uh, tied, you know, in the, um, in the score prediction uh, several times. But Miami was the only one that was predicted to be 0-16. Uh, did a little bit of work on it. And, you know, if you look at it and the probabilities and whatnot, he basically has Miami with like three, 3.8 wins or something like that, 3.7 wins. Really low, really low, by far the lowest in the league. Are we that bad, Simon? Um, I mean, I think we're pretty bad, I've got to say. Um, I, I don't think we're only 16 bad, but I think we're up about as bad as it gets. I mean, and it, I think it comes back to those two lines. You know, you can't really win anything without 
trench play and realistically our trenches are pretty terrible you know you've got christian wilkins you've got larry tonsil but essentially we're you know we're we were talking about it in the whatsapp group um earlier in the week we we're talking about you know is a jonathan woodard is a is a tank Carradine? are these guys going to step up and you know is a jesse davis who's you know let's not you know, not necessarily a plus player over the last couple of seasons. These are guys that we're all of a sudden hoping are going to be the glue that melds these two units together. And I don't know, when push comes to shove, you think, you know, if Rosen or Fitz, Fitzpatrick start ticking, but then if Fitzpatrick's ticking, it means that Rosen hasn't done what he's supposed to. So you're already behind the eight ball there. You know, the running game that we keep talking about, is it ever going to get going? The receivers look like they're doing a good job early on in OTAs, but it's early on in OTAs. There's just so many question marks, so many question marks. It just doesn't look and doesn't feel like a particularly good team. And then you look at, you know, the Patriots potentially adding Gerald McCoy, adding Jamie Collins. I know that the left tackle retired today, but, you know, and I know there's dysfunction at the Jets. And, but uh, Alf, Alf, I do want to kick it over to you, though, because Simon brought up a, a point about the lines and the line play. And, um, and I wanted to ask you, particularly about the offensive line, do we have the right coaches in place for the offensive line finally? Um, and if that is the case, if we're you know supposing that to be the case, does does the coaching matter more or does the talent matter more? Because we've seen a lot of offensive lines that, you know, hey, who are these guys again? I mean, we've seen a lot of Patriots offensive lines that are like, who are these guys again? And it seems like lately in Miami, we need to have first-round picks at every position. But is that just because we've had shit coaching on the offensive line? Do we finally have something different? Well, that's the optimistic case, isn't it? it like, we're sitting around, we're saying, man, these guys are really going to coach these guys up, and we're going to find out that Daniel Kilgore is actually a pretty decent center. We're going to find out that they hit on Michael Dieter. We're going to find out that Chris Reed is actually a pro bowler in waiting. And we're going to find out that Jesse Davis has secretly all this time been a really good right tackle. I think that's four out of five, and you called it a couple of weeks ago, scratch-off tickets. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not optimistic at all. I don't care who the hell's coaching this team. Uh-huh. Like, you know, you have four guys that are absolute unknowns mm-hmm. on that offensive line. If if this team was going to play seven on seven flag football, I'd have them winning nine, 10 games. And that's if, if mind you, if Josh Rosen is actually any good, but we don't even know that now on the defensive line, I've made my, my, you know, my, my, I've been, I've nitpicked that enough that I don't think we have even three players there. Although, you know, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of do like the two guys behind Kristen Wilkins, but who the hell, you know, who the hell is Jonathan Woodard going to be? Who the mm. hell is, is Tank Carradine going to be? Like, you know, Charles Harris, is this his last stand? Is it going to be any good? I just write him off. Yeah, and I, and I tend I to agree with that. I think the two lines, and, and it's really out of negligence because they've purposefully, in my opinion, gone out of their way to ignore both. Mm-hmm. And who's to say that they didn't do that so – to try to try to ensure that they're gonna lose enough, maybe. So I don't know. It's it, the team looks bad to me, and it looks bad to me basically because of those two lines. That bad offensive, offensive line, is, line, bad defensive line, bad quarterback. Is this just gonna be a shit season, Simon? I think so, mate. I, I, I really do, and I've said it all along. And I think they're a unit. Yeah, I think the secondary is a decent unit, but I think when push comes to shove, and we get out there on the field. 
I don't think. I think we're in for a bit of a shock. I don't think it's going to be very good. And it, the, the most interesting, the most interesting portion of this will be how good will Josh Rosen be, and how many questions will he have answered to the point whether or not, to the point whether Tua Tungavailoa becomes mm-hmm. either a bigger or lesser part of the debate, and then whether it's, you know, actually say, well, we've got something in Rosen, let's avoid Tua, and let's take AJ Epinesa, or let's take Chase Young. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's go that route or is it actually doesn't look like Josh is going to work out but let's keep him on the books anyway because he's you know six million or probably be four million then for the next two years with mm-hmm. another year option and let's draft you know this kid that looks like John Elway so it'll be interesting to see the problem I have with it is this why are they leaving themselves so much work to do next year when they could have done some of that this year they could have found a right tackle they could have tried to replace Daniel Kilgore. They could have tried to find a five tech. They could have gone out to get a better edge rusher. They could have done so many things to cut down their workload next year. But as as it turns out, they're just punting everything toward next year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you look at you look at the offseason, you look at what they've what they've acquired. I mean, their main channels of acquisition have been so. There's there's the first round pick, Christian Wilkins, and they were going to make that pick and. And, you know, it's hard to avoid adding a talent that way. But otherwise, you know, I use, use, we used the term before several times already. And we're talking about scratch-off tickets. We're talking about Eric Rowe for a very marginal contract with a history of not being able to participate in games because of his groin. Uh, we're talking about, you know, I mean, the quarterback situation is what it is. I don't want to get into it. Um, we're talking about, you know, Dwayne Allen, who's – since when is is he considered a starting tight end or you know some sort of, sort of difference maker? It's just it's just a a body to put there at um, at the Y. Uh, we're talking, and then the AAF guys. I almost think that they wanted to do this on purpose because they want the lottery tickets. They want to you know discover some unsung, un you know unknown guy that came out of the AAF maybe he was one of the best players in the AAF and we got him and uh and and we had an opportunity to get him because everybody thinks that we're crap and they think that they've got the upward mobility and uh and maybe that's that's what they're thinking like they're, we're going to get undrafted free agents like Preston Williams and he's going to turn out he's going to have the opportunity to turn out and he is going to turn out we're going to get an AAF guy like J. Ron Elliott who's J. Ron Elliott got in front of him Charles Harris that's it I mean that's yeah. that's not that's not hard to to you know beat out in camp if he looks like he did in the AAF or or even at times with the Green Bay Packers or even in the preseason with the New Orleans Saints. Well, I've been um, to OTAs, guys, and I sit there and I never ask for a schedule. It's just it's I mean for a roster. I was it's one of my little pet peeves. I like to walk around like I know everybody. This year I asked for a roster because I didn't know a lot of these guys. Like there was a <laughs> lot of new faces. I was like, who the hell is that? Who the hell's 53? Who the hell's 59? Wait a minute. You can't, you can't, recommend, you can't recognize Jamal Wiltz by sight? <laughs> no. So I was like really, really confused. Like, all right, do you remember that scene in Major League when, they, when the groundskeeper goes, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt. Hey, uh, I, I remember that how that movie ended, though. And it didn't end with Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah, although I will tell you one thing. There's one guy who looks spectacular at number 11 on OTAs. Oh, oof. we hit big, man. That's the next A.J. Green. That's Isaiah Ford, right? 
No, that's uh, <laughs> Mr. Devante Parker. Yeah. He's doing it again, guys. This is the of course year. he's doing it again. He doesn't. He doesn't every every year in OTAs, mini camps without pads on. Um, Speaking of Isaiah Ford, I will say this: he also too. looks good. He also looks pretty good. Uh, Who does? Seen of him? He he looks. You know, he looks like a professional wide receiver. Who's this? Isaiah Ford. Oh, Isaiah. Yeah. 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 He looks pretty good. That's it's kind of a numbers game at that wide receiver position now. I which I don't. You wouldn't think on an un, on a relatively untalented team, but um. You are talking about – we know no, nothing's wrong with – I mean, they're going to keep Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, and probably Devontae Parker. And and then if you listen to some of the beat writers, they're talking about Bryce Butler as if he's got that fifth spot locked up, which I don't think is justifiable. Um, certainly there's going to be competition there. But I, you've got four that you know are gonna ha- are gonna be on the roster basically, and you got a fifth spot, and maybe a sixth. Although that would be a little bit unusual, uh, and some legit guys that are fighting for. It. I've I've done you know work on Reese Horn, who came from the AAF, and um, and Preston Williams, the undrafted free agent. I think we spent like forty minutes on him a couple of weeks ago. Um, he makes the team, I think. He makes the team. I think. So, yeah. I think I think Simon is speaking from beyond. Oh, I think the train must have crashed. <laughs> I am beyond the gra- beyond the grave. <laughs> I will say this, Chris. You should. You. I think. I think you're gonna be happy with the way they use Dakeem Grant because he seems. Oh, good. I hope so. Because he seems really, really active. Uh, I'm almost. You know, I can't. I can't actually say what they're doing with him because. They gave us yes, the third degree at, at camp, but okay, I'll 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 go ahead. Uh, they're playing him <laughs> at running back. They're playing him at slot. They're playing him at every wide receiver position, and I've seen him lined up in about six different spots on the offense, and he seems to have an action on every single play. So, yeah. so it looks promising so far. It looks completely different than what we saw last. What I saw last year in camp with Jakeem Grant, where well, that would get me playing. high. Yeah, he was just playing a couple of spots. And on the second team, this year it looks like, you know, I don't know, maybe when Albert Wilson gets into full swing, maybe Albert Wilson replaces him. But if he doesn't, so far it looks like Jakeem Grant is going to be a pretty active guy on this offense. I mostly agree with you guys that this is this is a bad team the way it's structured and they seem to intend to be bad. So you, have a, you find a way to be bad when you, you know, intend to be bad. And five wins is sort of what I was thinking. But – the one wild card that I keep going back to in my mind is because I know how important the offensive line is, and I know how important, maybe the most important hire that you can make um, uh, up there with the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator positions or coaching positions is uh, is the offensive line coach, and they have Pat Flaherty and Dave DeGuglielmo, who they just added, and the last time those two guys were together was with the Giants in uh in you know 2004 to 2008 and those offensive 2006 7 and 8 i mean they had they had top five run blocking units they had best uh some of the best pass blocking units they won a super bowl together uh these were good offensive line coaches together and then they split off separately and obviously dave DeGuglielmo had success we just saw it last year with indianapolis and pat flaherty continue to have success with the New York Giants and had some success with the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. 
if if those guys and if the offensive line really is about coaching because remember when Nick Saban was hired remember when he was hired we got Hudson Houck as our mm-hmm. offensive line coach yeah. and Nick Saban even detailed it explicitly to the media you saying you know we're gonna we don't need to invest as much in our offensive line now because we believe that the offensive line coaching is the source of good play at that position is the is the primary source if that's true and Miami finally has decent offensive line coaching as opposed to the shit that they had under Chris Furster and his protege and and some of the Joe Philbin lines that we had if we've got good offensive line play for the first time since Sperano might the team actually be solid like it was under Sperano I mean that's you know the yeah you have to wonder about that even if they're not good everywhere else you know they might end up surprising you and winning more games than quite frankly we want them to <laughs> because of the Tua thing but I, I, that's the thing in the back of my mind I tend to agree so coming up we will assess some of your Twitter questions or even answer some of your Twitter questions there'll be no assessing well there might be a bit of assessing we'll see but we'll definitely be answering them anyway first of all a little bit of this We'll get back to our episode here in a second. But first, we've had a lot of inquiries about how you can contribute to the Five Reasons Sports Network other than just giving us money, which we'll certainly take, or being a podcaster, and I have too many bad ones already. So here's <laughs> an idea if you want to get involved with us, and it goes beyond our new website, fivereasonsports.com. We are looking for sales representatives. Why? Because we have a lot to sell. We sell ads on our podcasts. We sell ads on social media. We also are selling sponsorships and banner ads on our website. So we got a ton of inventory to sell. We are credentialed with all five teams down here. We're fully established and we just want somebody who can go out into the community and sell that product, sell Miami sports by Miami for Miami to the South Florida community. So if you want to get involved, here's two ways that you can contact us. One is by going to Skolnick at five reasons And the other way is going to Jorge J O R G E at five reasons reach out one of those two ways and we will get back in touch with you and tell you how you can help and how you can make money hey this is seth levitt and i am here with two-time miami dolphins team mvp seth 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 man they already know this is oj mcduffie why don't you tell them what we're really here for we're excited to join the crew at the five reasons sports network to bring you our new podcast the fish tank dolphins tales from the deep oj tell them what they can expect when they dive in yeah big seth we've got some of your favorite all-time dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard so it looks like sasquatch because he's <laughs> chasing me because you you know izzo with his clothes are. he's so hairy that guy <laughs> Wait, why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah. Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. Hi, this is Craig Mish from Swings and Mishes here on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Just in case you missed any of our podcasts in the past, here's what you missed. We have been um, extremely aggressive in, in trying to acquire additional uh, international dollars, not just for you know uh, potential free agents with two first names. It's nice that that ownership is, is fully supportive and allowing us to, to, to do everything in our power um, to be um, the best team in, in, in this region, in the gateway to America, and, and, and for Miami to become a destination spot for, for all Latin players, uh, because, you know, this is such an international city.
Welcome back to Three Hours Per Carry. I'm Simon Clancy with Chris Corfman, Alfredo Artiaga, and it's time for some of your questions. And my man Alf has got them. Hit it. All right. This guy last week sent us the same question, but this time he's changing it to the offense. And this is Mike Thompson from, at MJ1987US26. And he writes the three yards per carry. To carry on my question from last week, what offensive player do you see making a jump forward in this new scheme? Simon. Uh, I think it's your boyfriend, Kalen Bellage and um, Mike Gesicki. Hmm. Sorry, Chris. Good pick. <laughs> okay. I was I was I was thinking actually Kalen Balaj because um because if you think about the fact that they're going to be a, they're going to use a fullback some and they're going to be sort of a power team uh running out of the eye and what what sorts of backs have that experience. You know, the Patriots drafted Sony Michelle in the first round in part not just because he was an exciting player but because he had experience running out of the I formation, running behind a, a lead blocker and fullbacks. And, uh, it, and even him, it you know, kind of took half a season before he, it really clicked in, in that, um, that offense. But I was thinking, I was looking at you know, Ken, Kenyon Drake, what kind of experience does he have? Well, he doesn't have experience in that, like pretty much all. And uh, Kalen Balazs does some, you know, in, uh, back in college. So, that could be a guy because they're going to be a running team. I, th- I think they're going to run it into the ground. They're going to run it even if they're losing, and they're just going to keep running it. I think, I think they're going to be that sort of team that, that doesn't lose sight of their goal of establishing a, a ground game even if they're losing. I don't think they're going to go all pass, pass, pass because they get down by a touchdown. Um, so I, I think Kalen Balazs really has a chance to, to be a breakout performer, uh, you know, when I'm fantasizing, of course, I want it to be Jakeem Grant because I've wanted that for a couple of years now. But but I think uh, Balaj has a good chance. In my opinion, it is going to be Jakeem Grant. I think they're going to use him enough ways that maybe his counting stats are not going to be great. He's not going to catch 90 balls. He's not going to have 1,000 yards receiving. But it's entirely possible that he has 10 touchdowns. So, yeah, I think he's going to be really active, and I would say Jakeem Grant is the guy that takes a big jump forward in this new system. All right, this one's right up your alley, Chris. J.D. Christians, at J.D. Christians, he writes, are we overthinking Jerome Baker not fitting into a Pat-style defense? What if they use him in a hybrid role as a third safety linebacker in a three-three-five or something like that? Wouldn't it make sense to change the defense to fit a talented player like Baker? I think that first off, I haven't heard any discussion about him actually playing that sort of role. It's all been it's all been talking about linebacker. Um, we've heard things about you know that he's supposed to be looking at Kyle Van Noy that he's going to be he's going to be playing sort of on the edge and and asked to rush the passer some and do some of the things that the New England Patriots linebackers does and or do. Um, and it's either going to work or it's not going to work. I, you know, I, I wonder the same because he's a good player and I, I don't like all of a sudden being like, ah, you know, this good player that we all had thought might be the best rookie linebacker that we've seen here in a while is suddenly going to um, disappear or take a turn for the worst. But uh, I also think about what I see Donta Hightower doing and I think about what I see Kyle Van Noy doing. And it's tough to imagine Jerome Baker doing that. It really is. I mean, there's no way around that. Um, I've, we've seen him blitz. We've seen him 
pass rush off the edge. He's a speed guy, but he, you know, he, he fails a little bit when it comes to power uh, and strength. And, um, you know, in the end, the foot, football is, is this way. Not every defense is for every player. Yeah. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, and I really find it hard to say yay or nay. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit because we answered a similar question a little while ago. And I think that potentially, if used right, he could be. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he weighs in at. It'll be interesting to see whether they. I mean, I don't think they. I don't think they see him as a as a kind of a uh, Dion Buchanan type. It'll be interesting if they use his speed off the edge, how they move him around. They might make him a. You know a kind of a jigsaw puzzle that doesn't necessarily have to fit because he brings certain assets to that, that just make it slightly different. It's not going to be a complete copycat of what you saw in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you, you will try and accommodate good players where you can. I, I think he probably weighs at around about 237. And, I think they'll probably try and get him to go upwards. Uh, he certainly looks bigger um, than he mm-hmm. did, certainly when he was drafted. Um, and it's whether or not he can retain, add weight and retain that speed. I mean, it's like saying, you know, what's going to happen in five weeks' time. I don't know what's going to happen in five weeks' time, and I don't really know because we don't really have an idea. And because mm-hmm. obviously practices are very much closed and practices are, you know, you, meet, you know, the guys in the media have been asked not to report on specific who's lining up where and specific positions and who's doing what. So potentially, really, the only time, the first time we'll see anything will be, pre-season and really regular season actually mm-hmm. and that's you know that's just the way it's going to have to be we can pontificate and spe- speculate as much as we can but I don't know how he's going to but it, it's clear that he's going to be a part of it because otherwise they would have looked to move him on yeah I'm going to go ahead and be the optimist in the group uh, I just think I believe in Jerome Baker I think he looks good to me he looks good to me as a as an edge rusher he did look good to me last year there is no statistical evidence to suggest that he's good at it I'm just saying he's fast. He, his hands are kind of sudden. He has good twitch movement. He looks good to me as an edge rusher. I think he'll be successful. And he played well last year. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm optimistic. I think that he'll do well. I think he'll be okay in this system. All right. This is a pretty good one for you, Simon. John Crimes at ELTWR Twitter, he writes, TWR. T.W. Writer is his name. Okay. People got to get simpler handles, man. Jesus Christ. And he writes to three yards per carry, three best box sets to binge in the vacuum of Game of Thrones till the preseason. Wow, that's a great question. Simon, that's a pretty good one. That's a great question. Um, see, I'm going to say, I'm going to give you three I know one of them for you. Oh, do you? I think so. Well, I mean, for me, The Wire is the best that, there it is. on television. Yeah, um, I, th- I think Mad Men is astonishing. Um, and I think Friday Night Lights is is phenomenal. But I'm going to go a little bit old school here. The Shield oh. is a tremendous program. Michael Chick- uh, Chicklis, um, Forrest Whitaker, Glenn Close, just since the first two seasons of The Shield are right up there with anything. Um, what else can I think of? I mean... I, to me, for me, I'm going to go Wire, Friday Night Lights, Mad Men with an addendum with the Shield. Chris? Chris? I, well, 
I don't know if I have a bunch of them for you, but I can say that uh, I am a big fan of the Stranger Things uh, series on Netflix, yeah. and it the new season is going to come out this summer. So uh, if you want, I mean, you're done with Game of Thrones and you're looking for something to, you know, maybe catch back up on, watch the first two seasons and get ready for the third one that's going to happen this summer. Uh, mine are pretty simple. Breaking Bad, Sopranos, and a new one to the, the rotation, Ozarks. That's mm -hmm. very, very good on Netflix. It's only two seasons. If you really don't want to dig into six seasons of The Sopranos and five of, the, of Breaking Bad, Watch Ozarks. It's only two seasons. It's quick. You could knock that off in two weeks. It'll take you right up into almost camp. All right. Okay, this one is pretty good, for I think, for me. It's Fitz at Alan Fitz 1, and he writes, Do we expect scouting or front office changes, reorganization, given that Marvin Allen and Reggie McKenzie came on board so late in the draft process? Will they reshape the department and – add any young scouting stars thanks guys uh no all i've heard is that they're gonna do the same thing that happened last time there was a regime change just reassignment moving around deck chairs new people in new roles some getting promoted some new people being brought in by those guys but no massive shakeup for next year is what i've heard uh would you do something different chris an interest well an interesting possibility that i wonder about and this is based on some things that i you know, both heard and actually that have been commented on from those guys is I wonder about, um, so I wonder about the division of responsibilities because one thing that comes from the Patriots that the Patriots might maybe do a little bit differently than some other teams in the league from a coaching staff standpoint is their division of responsibilities. And so they'll have like on, on the offensive coaching staff, like Chad O'Shea, he comes over and he's a first time offensive coordinator. Well, yeah, but not really because he was basically the offensive coordinator of red zone, you know, when he was in new England and they had divisions of responsibilities like that in on the defensive side and on the offensive side. And I think that also goes, they, they have things like that in the, um, the front office staff as well. I think they, they find out, you know, what are you good at? Are you good at evaluating offensive linemen? Then, okay, then you, you evaluate offensive linemen. So I wonder if they're, they're going to do like sort of a creative uh, division responsibility that's a little bit more position-based, um, you know, because I kind of, especially as you watch, I don't know if you guys watched all of the, uh, the videos that they did, the Dolphins came out with on YouTube, on their YouTube channel, they, they basically highlighted every one of their undrafted free agents. It was really, really great piece for consumption by the fan uh, where they had basically a front office member uh, run through each and every undrafted free agent, what they saw in him, you know, what they liked about him, why he's here. And, uh, and it almost came off like each of the players had sort of a sponsor <laughs> and, and you notice some guys that were more involved with some positions than other positions, uh, or at least I noticed that. And so I wonder, I wonder if they're going to reorganize that way. And, and that would intrigue me. Simon. Um, I think they're pretty much done actually. I think McKenzie will probably be somebody that moves on at some point. I think it's kind of a stopgap, a bit of a rehabilitation for his career. Um, I think Marvin Allen's the kind of rising star and a bit like kind of an Ed Dobbs in Indianapolis, I suspect he will be somebody that gets plucked to be a general manager in the next two or three years. Um, 
or if Chris Gurria manages to fuck up having 68 draft picks next year, then he looks like he'd be the man that would take over. But yeah, um, and I, I honestly don't know enough about the, the, the lower down the field scouts to know whether or not they would stay or go. But it generally feels like we've got a decent, you know, we seem to be turning up a, a number of decent players in the lower rounds of the draft. Um, and that tends to be where the scouts do their best work. So I think if you look at some of the regional guys, um, I think they're generally doing a good job. I mean, you know, you have to look at the age of guys like Ron Brockington and Terry Bradway and people like that and wonder whether or not they're going to be sticking around forever. But there does seem to be a decent core of younger guys um, because, you know, we've picked up a number of players, as I said, later rounds and free agents who have done a really good job. Yeah, I'll back you up on that. I think Marvin Allen, uh, we, I said it at the time, he strikes me as a guy that's a little bit overqualified for his role. Mm-hmm. And he should have a team of his own within the next two seasons. Unless, of course, you know, this is an unmitigated disaster here the next mm-hmm. two years. And let's hope it's not. But if there's some success, if the team has some upward mobility, I would say that Marvin Allen has his own team in a couple of years. I'm pretty sure you guys agree, right, Chris? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think Reggie McKenzie uh, might only be here. You know, I, I don't know what the future holds for him, but he, he might be here. I, I, I was specifically told that he has a lot of contacts around the league mm-hmm. and that he basically knows everybody. And so when you are in that trade mode and you need to pound the phones and stuff like that, I think he's an asset that way. And I wonder if, um, if that's sort of that between that and his experience with pro personnel, if that's, um, you know, his, his shtick a little bit in Miami and, uh, which, which is kind of odd because, uh, you know, Chris Greer doesn't really like to trade anything of value (laughs) and, um, or at least he doesn't like to trade up or down in the draft very much, uh, particularly not the high end. And so, um, so he might be gone, by say next year uh marvin allen though i agree is you know he's got a good resume uh, a good history and i think that he's going to get looks for the gm positions out there all right this question is from kevin dern we all know him at kevin md4 and he writes and i'll give it to simon first what's the position group you feel most confident in heading into 2019 and which one do you feel less confident in I mean, defensive backs, most confident. And there's a number of really good players in there and least confident either of the lines, but I'd say offensive line, although defensive end is an absolute car crash. <laughs> <laughs> Chris? I think uh, wide receiver is the one that I'm most confident in because, like I said, it, it's become a numbers game there and it's almost like we've got too too many numbers. I, I really have a lot of confidence in the players that we have. That more than I have, you know, had in some – previous years where we had bigger stars or bigger names um as for the worst um gosh it's it's not that it's not that i disagree with you about the the defensive backs it's just that uh it's just that i know how deep they need that position and i don't know if we are actually deep i think we we've got like maybe three or four that you feel pretty solid about but they're going to need six or seven uh and more like eight to get through the season because guys take injuries. I mean, Rashad Jones, does anybody think he's going to play the whole year? You know, Eric Rowe, does anybody think he's going to play the whole year? Um, yeah, so I, I there's they're going to be putting some guys out there that are going to get roasted <laughs> by by the yeah. opposing team. Yeah, I think uh, I like the running backs. The, the running backs best. 
and the offensive line the worst. Uh, that's the way I see it, which is kind of odd, but I really do think that we have some some talented backs, namely the top two. I think Kenyon Drake, Kellen Balaj, those two guys are good players. Mm. And, you know, I w- it wouldn't surprise me if they're cornerstones of this regime going forward, just like Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams were for Tony Sperano, because it just makes too much sense, in my opinion. Can I just say on that note, though, with the running backs, uh, you know, I'm going to keep banging this drum until something happens. But, you know, Duke Johnson's still sitting out there in Cleveland. And um, and he's making and more I sense by the day, really. Well, yeah, but I, I don't really – I don't know if they're going to reconcile. That's the problem. I mean, that's, that's the reason that you still talk about Duke Johnson is because he's requested a trade. He's unhappy there. Um, and whenever you see their press statements and see them talking about it, you can tell that they're in this, like, total stubborn I don't want to talk about Duke Johnson anymore you know uh, mode uh, the guys are and um, I you know this is the kind of thing that they could be in a stare down and then finally somebody relents and they send him off somewhere and who knows where that is but you know that he would be perfect for Chad O'Shea's offense uh, or for this New England style Chad O'Shea slash Josh McDaniels whatever the whatever it is so I'd keep an eye on him because that number three back position I don't like it I mean, and, and this is an offense that uses the running back so much. One injury, and they're going to have to have a guy out there, you know, running the ball and catching passes. Well, Mark Walton. Is it going to be Miles Gaskin? Is it going to be uh, the guy Walton. they got from the AAF? I would say Mark Walton is a guy that I've always liked. He's just not reliable, namely because of his off-the-field issues. I mean, he's been arrested three times in the last week. <laughs> <laughs> At this rate <laughs> – I I can't I can't bring myself to count on him whatsoever. I mean, not least because even in last year in Cincinnati in preseason, he really didn't look good, and and there wasn't you know great stuff I don't think coming out about him and how he was doing behind behind the scenes with the team. I mean, there's a reason he got let go, you know, as soon as legal trouble popped up, and whereas other guys, you know, like hey, if they were really good, if they were really valuable, they they might hang on to that guy for a little bit. But, um, you know, he was just kicked off immediately. I don't know if I have anything for him. It's, to me, it's just like those UDFA, that UDFA guy, Patrick Laird or Miles Gaskin or um, Kenneth Farrow, the guy they got from the AAF. And, and none of them are all – none of them are inspiring at all. So he, I would still keep an eye on Duke Johnson. That's just my opinion. All right. And then this guy, he piggybacks onto that question, and this is the last question we have here. And this is from Corey Ashburn, and he writes, at Ashburn PFN, he writes, I was going to ask you guys to rank the position groups. So let's do this together. So do we all agree that which one's best out of our three? Because we all had three different ones. Which is best, the wide receivers, the defensive backs, or the running backs? I'll go to you first, Simon. Uh, It's not running backs. I mean, our running back group is horrendous, and it will be proven on the field. I mean, I would say defensive backs, but yeah, I mean, I would say. Well, do you do you one. agree on wide receivers, strong position or not? I think it's uh, I think it's okay. I mean, you've got Plastic Man Devonte Devonte uh, yeah, Parker yeah. who will fall apart in week three, miss six games. You've got Kenny Stills, who's you know who we all really like, but you know, um, you've got Albert Wilson coming back off a serious injury. You've got Jakeem Grant coming back, and we all like Jakeem. And then we've got a bunch of guys, you know, Owen. Horn, Williams, who we all like, but, you know, he went undrafted for a reason. Um, you know, we'll see. 
we'll see. I mean, you're, you're putting a lot, a lot of reliance on Devontae Parker having his first decent season in five. And, you know, he's not had a thousand yard season yet. And every year we keep being told that he's about to become a superstar. And guess what? Today he was the OTA superstar. But let's, let's you know, let's see, let's see it when it really, when it actually really means something, buddy. Because to this point, you've really done nothing. So, you know. To me, whatever Devontae gives us is sort of gravy because I'm happy with the position, you know, without him. I mean, I think Albert Wilson was on his way to like a, a stupendous year last year before he got yeah. hurt. I agree. And Kenny Stills, we know that he's at least a you know pretty good number two, right? And yeah. that's that's what he's been. He scores he touchdowns, three. and you know that, if that's the worst thing you could say about him, you know that's pretty good. Yeah, and and Jakeem Grant, I mean, he had four touchdowns in half a season last year, and and so you're looking at him, and you're like, oh, if he does a full season, could he do eight? And if he does eight, then what kind of player are we talking? That's a pretty good player. Um, you know, so so I, I even without Devontae, I mean, you could you could bench him, replace him straight out with Preston Williams, and I don't care. You know, I, I still think it's a fairly strong wide receiver unit. Uh, so we have pretty much the best units, but we, which are the worst? Do we all agree that it's the offensive line? Like that well, the offensive worst. line, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. next has to be the defensive line, right? I think we got to agree there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I. I don't know if I agree. Just because I know that in this style of defense, the actual defense linemen are just are are guys like Christian Wilkins and Devon Godshaw and Vincent Taylor. You know, that's that's who we're talking about, really, because yeah. they don't actually even play that. Many, they don't play that many yeah. defensive linemen up there. Yeah. They, so would I mean, you replace? That's, the that's who comes line? off the field for the for the DBs. Would you replace the defensive line then with that? Dare I say, a quarterback? Uh yeah, I would. So you have yeah. quarterback as the wor- the second worst unit on the team. Is I, it worse than linebacker? I, I I would say I would I would wonder if quarterback is worse than quite frankly than offensive line because wow. you're talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick, my God, right? I don't. Agree. And then and then and then Josh Rosen is like okay, I I understand the the optimism about Josh Rosen, but we don't know because all we do know is last year it was it was bad. Yeah, you know, what about the tight end unit? Again, I'm, I'm, you know, not particularly inspired. Not until Gasicki actually reaches out and and gets it. Hmm. Yeah, like this is not a very good team. <laughs> <laughs> Sounding like I've been telling you this for weeks, boys. <laughs> I mean, ten weeks ago, Alf was like, "We're going to win a Super Bowl. We're going to win ten games. We're not going to win more than two, buddy. And if we do uh, that, we'll be lucky." Well, I. I you know, if they win just two, or if they win one, then you know, I, I hate to say it. I, I can't even bring myself to say it, but yeah, great, because then we do actually get a quarterback. Absolutely. But it, I mean, it look, mean that gonna, we're going to have, we're going to have, they won't, they're not going to, this is part of the plan. It's clearly part of the plan. You can't say to a new head coach, oh, we're going to come in, we're going to do what we're going to do, we're going to ignore people so we get compensatory draft picks we're going to end up with 14 15 picks two in each round apart from the first round oh but by the way see you later that's that's not what they're going to do this is a three to five year plan i'm absolutely sure about it and there's going to be some some shitness before we get to the goodness but you could walk away next year but you could walk away next year the, the number one overall pick the 33rd you know the you know, whatever pick the Saints is, is the first pick in the third round, but, uh, you know, we'll be cooking on gas and all of a sudden you walk away with a 
Tungavala and, uh, you know, uh, Yita Grossmatos for the defensive end for Penn State and a Bryce Hall and, and, you know, all these guys. All of a sudden, you know, there's some real talent out there and it, it will take time. And I think fans have just got to understand that it is going to be a process. And, you know, if it doesn't work now, it's never going to work because this, this is the one time where they're really doing it properly. And we've been shifting off for long enough that surely something's got to work, right? Yeah, well, that's that's an inspiring, that's an inspiring <laughs> line. Surely, shit well, got to work. I don't, I don't know. It it still just comes to, it comes down to like rubber meets the road decisions. Like, who do you get at quarterback? That's what's going to dictate whether it works out. I mean, mm-hmm. if they can get to a tongue of Ilo, then okay, yeah. we all have confidence there. Um, but let's say it's it's not. Let's say it's Justin Herbert, and we're a little more iffy on that one. And we're like, uh, well, is he or, or is he not? You know, and and if he's not, if he's the next Ryan Tannehill, then I don't care. I mean, I don't care how you did it. I don't care, you know, what philosophy went into the whole thing and said, you know, you're doing it the right way and stuff like that. If it's not the right guy, then you fucked it up. <laughs> but then, but then is the argument then that you wait and you do exactly what you've done this year and you load up on extra picks and comp picks and that sort of things because you know then that the reincarnation of John L.A. is coming in 2022 and you put yourself in a position to be able to load up. At, or 2021, and, right? And move up a bit. Uh, you sorry, 2021. You, you put yourself in a position to load up, knowing that here comes, you know, touchdown Jesus. Are we already talking about the guy, uh, the guy whose name I can't pronounce? So now, now we're now we're talking about tanking two seasons. <laughs> no, 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 you're not talking, no, you're not talking about tanking. But you're talking about putting yourself in a position, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of using not signing free agents. Because look, you've got to, ultimately it always comes down to quarterbacks. You've got to, and over the next two years. There are a bunch of guys. Look, mm-hmm. you know, we know it's Tua and Trevor, but also, look, here comes mm-hmm. Herbert, here's Desmond Ridder, and here's Jordan Love, and here's Jake Fromm, and here's Justin Fields, and here's Tate Martell, and here's Brock Purdy, and here's Adrian Martinez, and here's all these guys. You, you know, yeah, and make the right decision. If you can get a chance, yeah, absolutely. And you're going to get a chance, hopefully, you're going to get a chance on one of the two big ones. You've put yeah. yourself in a position as good a position. Any team in the league to get one of these two, you know, you've That's given true. yourself an arsenal of picks. Now don't fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what do you make of what do you make of the the thing that I was told that in 2020 there are quote unquote going for it, Simon? What do you make of that? I think you killed What's the context of going for it, as in going, as in building a team. They're gonna build a team, use draft picks. The, the draft picks that they have coming to them and their cap space to round up this roster. Oh, you killed me. Wow. Wow. You, you made him have a seizure. He's seizing on the, on the train right now. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, it's over. All right. We got him back. Hello. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I do not think that as a coach, you walk into a locker room and say to a bunch of professional people who put their essentially their lives on the line to do their job and say, boys, we're going to be shit this year. You have to go in and motivate people to win. And regardless, you, you have to motivate people to perform. But All right, Chris, let me ask you. Life. Let, let me, let me ask you. Let me ask you this, Chris. Let me cue it up again. So what do you make of that, that quote, Chris, that they're quote, what, unquote, that, going for it? That they're going to go for it? I think, you know, it's, 
it's great if um, we we've heard that the the num- number one directive from Steve Ross to these guys, and this is not not us. We've heard it as Peter King has said this, and I believe Dave Hyde has has corroborated uh, the number one directive really from Steve Ross to his people is find me that quarterback, get me that quarterback. You know, I don't care how, just do it. And um, and I'm you know basically. I'm I'm hearing the unspoken. I'm sick of this shit um, from him, and yeah. as are we all. So, if I think that his patience only goes as far as 2019 into 2020 for that position, and so you know, I I hear what Simon's saying about waiting until 2021, or or you know, possibly finding going for Trevor or you know, somebody else even in that year. Um, but I think that next year, Steve Ross is going to put on, is going to turn up the heat quite a bit on these people to say, okay, you're either in position to get to a tongue of ILO and he's our guy, or you're not in position, um, try and trade up and get him. But you know, if, if, as I think is the case, the per- the team that's trading, that's at the number one overall pick is not going to be interested in trading it then get your guy, get your guy. I don't care who it is. Just get your guy. And so they're going to have to shoot their shot. I think next year with the quarterback position. And once they do that, it does absolutely make sense. They'll be like, you know, yeah, we're going to use our picks. We're going to build a team. We're going to use our hundred million dollars of draft or not, sorry, cap space and build a team around this, uh, this young player, this young quarterback, and they're going to go for it. And that's what I think they mean by that. 2020, they're going to go for a guy. I don't know who that guy is. You know, whether it's Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, Jake Fromm, uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, if they get lucky. Um, you know, we don't – or some as-yet-unknown guy, as has been happening basically every year. You know, mm-hmm. where was Baker Mayfield? Where was Kyler Murray? You know, a year ahead of time. Um, don't know who that would be, but, yes, that's, that's, what, that's what I interpret that to mean. Next year, they're going to shoot their shot with a quarterback and then build a team around them. All right. That's it. There is no more. We gave you Game of Thrones. We gave you a little bit of tank talk. And we give you your Twitter questions answered. Next week, we have no idea what the hell we're going to talk about. We might even take a vacation next week. So stay tuned on that. But that's it. There is no more. See you guys next week or not. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes on Podbean or your usual podcast provider.